Good morning, everybody. So glad all of you are here. You know, um, usually on Saturday nights, I, I, I spend my time, you know, Lisa can tell you this, that, that I just get away and I just spend some time with the message that the Lord has given me and spend some time in prayer. And, you know, I, I pulled it up on my iPad here and I was going to kind of start reading through it and going through it. And the Lord said, put it down. I'm like, why? He said, just spend time with me. Okay. He said, I want you to, to just linger in my presence. Just spend some time in my presence. Now, obviously, you know, the message, I think it's a good message. But there's something about just honoring the presence of the Lord. It's something that we shouldn't take for granted. I had a friend um, come out to the church, and this, is, this has been, it was right before COVID started. But we were sitting out in the parking lot, and we, we were just praying. He wanted to come pray over our church. He, he's a man that, that travels all over. And he said, I hear the Lord say that New Covenant is it's like Bethany. Like Bethany. And I was like, cool, Bethany's cool. That's great, Lord. Didn't have any clue what he was talking about at first. Obviously, I knew about Bethany. I'd read about it in the Bible. Went home and really started looking what, what all was Bethany about. Bethany was kind of a little out-of-the-way place. There was no reason to go to Bethany unless you were going to Bethany. It was not on the way to somewhere. It was about a two-hour walk outside of Jerusalem. But Jesus constantly went to Bethany. He always made his way to Bethany. It wasn't because he preached there a lot. It wasn't because uh, anything was going on, except there were people there that absolutely loved his presence. They desired for him to be there. So I believe the Lord, the, the word that the Lord's speaking over this house is be like a Bethany. Bethany was not an important place. I don't look around and go, man, New Covenant, we're just the most important place in town. We're kind of an out-of-the-way place. I mean, you got to find us, right? If you don't happen to see that big black sign up there, people say, where do you go to church? Oh, I go to New Covenant Church. Where's that? Well, you know, it's um, back there where the strip clubs used to be. Oh, yeah. I know right where you are. There's no reason to come down here. Except the presence of the Lord wants to be here. And I got to praying about it. I was talking to the Lord about it. And he said, there's other things. I mean, do you want to be a Bethany? Do you, do, does, does the church want to be a Bethany? There were other places that Jesus went. It could be a Nazareth. <laughs> Nothing good comes from there, right? could be a Judea. It's where Jesus collected his and, and, and drew his disciples, did a lot of his ministry, a lot of miracles happened there. That's good. It could be a Jerusalem. I mean, Jesus was there in Jerusalem. He was, as a young boy, he said, I'm about my father's business. It was the seat of worship. That's good, right? Or we can be a Bethany. A place where Jesus wants to go. A place where he wants to be. Because of the hunger in our heart and the love for him draws him to that place. But you know what happened at Bethany? Death. Right? Lazarus died. At Bethany is where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. He would constantly go to their house. But at Bethany, something died. Something died. So Jesus could resurrect it. Are we willing to 
lay some things down, put some things down, let some things die. Oh, I don't like that. They didn't know Jesus was going to come and resurrect everything. They just knew that they needed Jesus, right? But when Jesus showed up, even though it looked like nothing could be done, it was gone. Jesus said, move the stone. It's not dead. It's not done. I'm just about to begin. I believe we've been called to be a Bethany. Let's be a Bethany. All right, that has nothing to do with my message this morning. It is not in my notes. All the guys back in the tech booth are going, where is he going with this? We don't know what he is doing. He is messing up everything. <laughs> but that's just kind of from my heart, all right? We're called to be a Bethany, a place where Jesus wants to go, a place where we honor his presence. They honored Jesus when he went to Bethany. Let's honor his presence. Let's see what he wants to do. Amen? All right. We're in a lesson series called The Seven Churches of Revelation. We're going to be talking about Pergamum this morning. And I had a nice little story that led right into it, but since I took up time with that other thing, we'll skip the story. Oh, I know. Uh, but the title of my lesson this morning is Truth Matters. Truth Matters. And we'll see what I wrote down here. Since I didn't spend any time with it yesterday, I have forgotten what I've put in here. So we'll just have to find out, won't we? The Bible tells us to walk in truth, delight in truth. And that the truth will set us free. Jesus said that he was the very essence of truth. He said, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. The very essence of truth. And what the church at Pergamum was struggling with was truth. So let's look at that this morning. Um, just a little bit of background on Pergamum. I'm not going to read all this, but it was the seat of government for Asia Minor. It's where the, the, the governor had his uh, throne there. It is where they, 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 they uh, made lots of judicial things happen right there in Pergamum. The pastor of the church in Pergamum had recently been killed for refusing to worship Caesar. And this is kind of where Jesus steps into it there in Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. It says, to the angel of the church of Pergamum write. And once again, the angel is the pastor. So there's a new pastor here because the pastor had recently been murdered. So this is going to a new guy. To the angel of the church of Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged Sword. And as we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, Jesus introduces himself differently to every one of these churches. But the way that he introduces himself is exactly what they need. Exactly what they need. And he said, I'm Jesus, I'm here, and I have a two edged sword. Remember back in chapter one, when we started this off a couple of weeks ago, John saw a vision of Jesus with a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. So what is this two-edged sword? Well, I believe it's what Hebrew 4.12 speaks about. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Jesus was bringing the word, whether it happens to be the Logos word or the Rhema word, the word that he is speaking directly to their hearts at the time. Jesus was saying, I'm bringing the word because this church needs to get back in line with the word of God. Why was it so important to bring the truth of the word back. Well, John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. 
We've called to be a, a people that are sanctified. I know that's kind of an old-fashioned word. But sanctified, walking separately, walking differently. And he said, sanctify them in your truth. And where are we going to find the truth? In your word. So the first thing that Jesus does is he recognizes what's going on good in the church. Just like he did the last couple of weeks with the church at Ephesus and the church at Smyrna. So here's the recognition in verse 13. He said, I know where you dwell. That word know means to have complete knowledge, complete understanding of what's going on. Back in chapter 1, Jesus said, I'm the one who walks around the seven candlesticks. And the seven candlesticks, Jesus said, were the churches. So in other words, Jesus is walking through and around the churches that he is writing to here. So he has complete knowledge. He has complete understanding. It's not something he just heard about. It wasn't somebody came and tattled on them, said, do you know what they're doing down there? It's nothing like that. Jesus knew exactly what was going on because he was with them. I know where you dwell, where you've made your permanent residence. It's where Satan's throne is. That's tough, isn't it? Where Satan's throne is. Once again, it was the seat of government for Asia Minor. And Jesus is saying, this government right here, this government is, is inspired by Satan. Yet you hold fast to my name. And you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, which was the martyred pastor. He was my faithful witness. The word witness there, the Greek word there is martus. It's where we get the word martyr. It means one who testifies faithfully to what they've seen. And I read a, a, a theologian this week, and I really like the way that he put this out. He said this word really means to become so identified with the purpose of God that you lose all other identity. To become so connected with the purpose of God. What is the purpose of God? Love God, love others. <laughs> right? That we become so connected with the, word of, with, with the purpose of God that we lose all other identity. Now, I know that's not what our modern society says. We get to choose our identity. We get to choose everything. Whatever it is, I get to choose it. But Jesus is saying, lose it. Lose your identity, pick up my identity. Because what's going on, not just necessarily in our nation, but, but the, the real struggle with sin is a lack of identity. We don't know who we are. We can say it with our mouth. Oh, Jesus loves me. Yes, he does. I'm a child of God, right? We sing songs about it. I am a child of God. We sing about it, but do we really know who we are? Have we really recognized everything that he has invested in us? That's, that's, that's becoming one with the purpose of God. My purpose is to love him, to know him, to walk in his presence so much so that when I step into a situation, his presence steps in with me. And in his presence, there's the fullness of joy, right? In his presence, all of our needs are met. Have you thought about that God is going to meet somebody's needs through you, through your presence, when you show up because you've been walking with him? And I've become so connected with the purpose of God. Love him, love others, love him, love others, love him, love others. I'm so connected with it. I don't have any other identity. I am a child of God, first, second, third, fourth, fifth. It's who I am. 
I can't go anywhere that that's not who I am. Finishing out that scripture there, verse 13. This is my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells. They chose to stay even when the pressure started. Even when things started to, to, to look bad, they stayed. And Jesus is saying, well done. Good. You should stay. Sometimes we run from pain. Nobody likes pain. I don't like pain. You start twisting my arm, I want to get away from it. But sometimes when we stay in, in, in these places of pain, God can use that to change other people's lives. Remember? Love others. It's not about me all the time. But then he brings the rebuke. In verse 6. I'm sorry. <laughs> I told you I hadn't looked at my notes, right? <laughs> he brings the rebuke, and I wanted to remind you that uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, it says that the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves, and he chastises every son that he receives. Now, that's not one of the scriptures that we put on T-shirts, is it? When we walk into somebody's house, you know, we, we, we see that up on a plaque. Hoo-hoo, the Lord chastens those who he loves. It's still scripture though, right? And we need to understand that when we get out of line, that the Lord wants to bring us back into line. And the primary way that he disciplines us is through the word of God. Not through sickness and disease and all these other bad things that happen. Can God use those things? Absolutely. But he wants to speak to us through his word. He wants to speak to us through his spirit. We'll listen. If we'll listen, we're going to end this up with those who have ears to hear, those who listen to what the spirit of the Lord says. If we listen, this becomes our discipline. And he wants to bring the word. He wants to bring the truth, which is the very thing that Jesus said he was bringing to Pergamum. So in verse 14 of Revelation chapter 2, it says, But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat foods, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. Now, who's Balaam? We got to do a little history lesson here, okay? Uh, 2 Peter 2 tells us that Balaam loved making money by doing what was wrong and that he deceived people for money. Uh, Jude 11 says. Now, Balaam was a, a uh, false prophet. Balaam was not somebody that followed the true Lord. And when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt and they were on their way, they were on their journey through uh, the wilderness to the promised land, they came through the, 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 the land of Moab and the king of Moab tried to hire Balaam to curse the children of Israel. But even a false prophet can't curse what God has blessed. He couldn't do it. He kept telling them, I can't do this. I can't do this. God is protecting them. I can't do this. What did he do, though? He told the Moabites to send their women down there. You huzzies. Send the women down there. Send your daughters down there. Let them be a temptation to them. And that's exactly what happened. In Numbers chapter 25, verse 1, it says, The people begin to whore with the daughters of Moab. These, the daughters of Moab, invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. 
So what's really going on here in in Revelation? Look at uh, verse 15. It says, So some of you who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. I know a lot of this is like, "Mm, all these weird names, all these weird words. Here's what the Nicolaitans were doing. They believed that only what was spiritual mattered. That, that anything out here in, this, in, 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 the, in the, what we might call the real world, it didn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do because this is going to pass away anyway. Your body is just going to die anyway. None of this matters. It only matters what's, what's spiritual. So what had they begun to do? Just what Balaam was doing. It was the same sin. That's the reason Jesus was, was referring back to it. It's the same thing. See, they had these temples there in Pergamum where they would sacrifice. You could go and, and they're sacrificing animals and, and all of this stuff. And it's, it, it can get a, a, a little bit messy if, if you're reading some of the things that Paul write when he said, I don't care if you eat the stuff sacrificed to idols. He's not talking about the same thing. Because they would sacrifice the idols and sell the meat. If you bought the meat and took it home and ate it, Paul was saying, if your conscience is okay with that, I'm fine with it. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Because what was going on was some, some of the men were going to these sacrifices. They would go in while they were sacrificing. They would eat this, this meat while it was being dedicated to these demon gods. They drank until they were completely drunk. And then at the end, the temple prostitutes came out and they just had a big orgy. And they did that on Saturday night and then got up and came to church on Sunday morning. Can you see that that might be an issue? Yeah. Now listen to this. Jesus was saying it was the same spirit, the same lie, the same departure from truth, Balaam and uh, the Nicolaitans. The name Balaam means destroyer, destroyer of the people. Nicolaitan means conqueror of the people. Does that sound kind of like the same thing? Even in the names, they're declaring what's really going on. And what Jesus was saying was, you can't give up essential beliefs. You cannot give up the truth. Maybe some of these these people had started going to these temples because they didn't want to be uh, martyred. Well, if we just kind of act like them, it'll be okay. But we can't give up essential truth, essential beliefs just to belong. And we live in a society that really, really wants to belong to everything. Right? Oh, you're preaching old-fashioned stuff now. No, I'm preaching the Bible. <laughs> okay? You know, we, we, we hear things like, you know, if it makes you happy, do it, right? And we forget the fact that Jesus is a whole lot more interested in our holiness than our happiness. Does that mean Jesus doesn't want you happy? Of course he wants you happy. But there's going to be times when he starts putting his finger on something. It's not going to make you happy. Because he's interested in holiness. 2 Corinthians six seventeen says, Therefore go out from their midst, be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. Now, if you take that to, to the wrong degree... You start saying, we can't talk to people in, you know, that aren't Christians. We can't do this. We, we got to stay away from Well, how do you love people and not be around them? We love them enough not to get caught up in the sin, but love them enough to be a light. The kids were all up here yesterday with their flashlights. Be a light, be a light. It was so cute. <laughs> Being a light to people. So, 
I know we're sitting here and we're thinking, well, you know, I've never been to a, a temple. I've never sacrificed in a temple. I've never eaten meat sacrificed to a demon. But where do we compromise? Because every place we compromise, what we're really doing is giving up an opportunity to stay in his presence. Because in his presence, all of our needs are going to be met. But when we compromise and we step out over here, we're missing that opportunity for God to be God in our lives, and we're trying to fix it ourselves. That's a good place to say amen. <laughs> Can we fix it ourselves? Look, I've, I've been in that place where I've tried to be my own provider. I've got to do this. I've got to make this happen. I've got to work this many hours. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. got to do this. got to do this. got to do this. Show me one place in the Bible where it says, Thou shalt be thine own provider. In fact, one of God's covenant names is the God that provides. So what's the remedy? It's very simple. Verse 16, therefore repent. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. That same sword that he was bringing to bring life, when we honor and obey it, it's going to bring life. It's going to bring correction, but it's going to bring life. But that same sword, if we ignore or we push away or we rebel against, it will bring judgment. We don't like that. No, God loves me way too much. Yeah, God loves you way too much. Therefore, he's giving you an opportunity to repent, to walk in line with what he's saying. We need to do the opposite of what we've been doing. We need to embrace truth. This same word, the word of God that brings truth and freedom when followed will bring judgment when rejected. Listening to me? God's not out to harm you. But what happens when we reject the word of God? We step out from under his umbrella of protection. And we go, what, what, what's going on, Lord? <laughs> why, why, why am I going to harvest of all this mess? Why do we spend so much time saying that you need to know the word? My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, right? When you know the word, you know his character. You know who he is. You know what he has promised, Right? This is not just you need to read your Bible. Come on, people, read your Bible. What's wrong with you? Read your Bible. The scripture in Hebrew said this is alive. It's alive. So that means every, if it's alive every time I connect with it, it's giving me life. This is not some archaic old book. You know, I read a, an article few weeks ago that said that um, they, had, they had done a survey, and you could answer four different ways. I know this was just open to anybody and everybody, so it wasn't just church people, but it was the Bible is the inspired Word of God, and it's meant to be taken literally. The Bible is a book of, of wisdom and moral stories. The book is a bunch of bull. I don't have an opinion. That's the only four answers. Guess where this book is inspired and meant to be taken literally landed? Just barely above, I don't have an opinion. So the majority of Americans believe that this book is worthless or it's a book of good moral stories. But less than 25% say it's, 
said that they believed that this was the literal word of God meant to be taken literally. And this is not just a, well, we're all going to hell in a handbasket type of message, okay? I'm just saying that there's some answers here. There's some truth here. There's some truth, and when we take it as truth, when we choose to live it as truth, things change. Change for us, and they'll change for people around us. So what do we need to do? Well, let's go back to Numbers chapter 25. So we read earlier that the, the men of Israel had been sleeping with the women of Moab and worshiping their gods. And Moses and the elders, they were standing at the tent of meeting and they were weeping over the sin of the Israelites. And at that very moment, you're talking about picking the wrong time. At that very moment, a man walked right in front of them and took a woman into his tent, took a Moabite woman into his tent. And then verse, uh, Numbers chapter 25, verse 7 says, When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber. He followed the guy into his own bedroom and pierced them both. The man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Now that doesn't sound nice, does it? I for one am glad I'm living into the New Testament. The New Covenant. I don't have to take a spear and drive it through somebody. I allow the Lord to take the sword and drive it through my heart. So the answer to what may be going on in our lives, it's hot in here, isn't it? <laughs> She's still cold. It's really hot up here. <laughs> the answer is always going back to the truth. Always going back and asking the Lord, drive this through anything in my life that is not pleasing to you. doesn't always make us feel good, but there's a result. Verse 17 says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are we hearing what the Spirit is saying? Are we hearing the voice of this age? It says, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one that receives it. These are the treasures of obedience and holiness that Jesus wants in our lives. What is the hidden manna? I believe it's Jesus himself. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So the hidden manna is having a relationship with Jesus that is beyond just, he saved me. Thank God for salvation. It changed my life. He translated me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. But there is more afterwards. I want that hidden manna. I want to know Jesus. I want to know him intimately. I want to see him. I want to walk with him. I want his presence to go with me everywhere that I go. Jesus is, is God's perfect provision. And then the white stone. What does that represent? If you'd asked me before this week when I started studying, I would have told you that it meant that that uh, it was a, uh, you had been found innocent because that's the way they did it back in the Roman days. If, when you were brought up in front of the court, if you were found guilty, it was a black stone, white stone if you were innocent. And that's good. You can preach that for a long time. But something I read this week said when a conquering hero was, was given a white stone, 
with their name on it, what it signified was that they had fellowship and friendship with the king. So not only does Jesus want to give us himself, but he wants to give us that that white stone that signifies that I have fellowship, that I have a special relationship with the king. And in the Roman times, they would just write your name on it and give it to you. And it was kind of like, you know, your VIP card wherever you went. (laughs) I get in. But Jesus said he's going to write a new name on it that nobody knows except that person himself. What is that? That's who you really are. That's your truest identity, who Jesus calls you to be. What he says about you could be a nickname. God calls me knucklehead all the time. But what what I believe that, that truth is, it may say, Warrior. It may say intercessor. It may say child of God. Whatever it is, that's who you really are. That's who you really are. And that's what God wants you to identify with. Not finding your identity anyplace else except who He has given you identity to be. All right. There's a story from the early 1900s that says that a local preacher went and had a conversation with a, a famous stage actor. And he asked this actor, can you answer a question for me? Why is it that you get on stage with a fictional story, yet people, people throng wherever you go, the crowds just come in wherever you are? Yet I bring essential truth and I can hardly get a crowd. And the actor said, I can can tell you what the difference is. He said, because I act like my fiction is true and you act like your truth is fiction. He said, if you loved your truth as much as I love my fiction, you could change the world. Truth matters, even in a world that says there is no truth. Truth matters, even in a world that says your truth is your own truth. You get to make up your own truth. Truth matters. The Word of God matters. God's truth matters. So what do I want you to know? God and the truth cannot be separated. So we must be bound to his truth, not just our feelings. You know people whose feelings, that is their truth? That's their truth. However I'm feeling, that is my truth. Whatever I'm going through at that moment, whatever I'm feeling, that is my truth. What do I want you to feel? I'm going to be honest with you. Remorse. Sorrow for the sin in our lives and in our land. Corey was talking about it during the the throne room service. Talking about intercession. Talking about praying for God's will to come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have a covenant with God. And he allows us to be partners with him. To bring heaven down. To call heaven down. To call the truth of heaven down. There's nobody in heaven that has an identity problem. There's nobody in heaven that has a sin problem. That's not going on in heaven. So we need to bring heaven down. When we bring heaven down, people will begin to see their identity. People will begin to recognize who they are. Addictions are broken. And if you sit there and say, well, I've never had an addiction, you're a liar. Because we're all addicted to us. 
I'm addicted to my way, what I want, what I want to eat, when I want to eat it. We have addiction. But when they meet heaven, when that wrong attitude meets heaven, when that wrong attitude steps into the presence of God, it is amazing how quickly attitudes change. When sickness steps into the presence of God, it is amazing how things change. When poverty steps into the presence of God, it is amazing how things change. Bringing everything that this world tries to dump on us into the presence of God, which is the manifestation of heaven on earth, things change. Things change. What I want you to do, I want us to have the same heart that the elders in Israel had. First of all, they recognized the sin and it broke their heart. It broke their heart. They wept over the sin that they saw. Are we walking so closely with the Lord? Not just when we see somebody mess up. People are going to mess up. I'm talking about the prevailing attitude. Lord, 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 let it break our heart. Things we see in society should break our heart. The division amongst the races should break our heart. The division amongst church people should break our heart. There's something about unity. Unity. When we get unified, the anointing increases. So the enemy is going to fight against unity. That doesn't mean that I have to think everything that you think exactly the way that you think it. But we have a common goal. And that's seeing Jesus lifted up. When we get into unity, the anointing increases. And amazing things start to happen. So I want us to have that heart. But when it comes to us individually, now listen to me. I'm talking about you. You don't get to take a spear and drive it through somebody else's sin. Okay? That's called religion. That's called uh, me having a plank in my eye while trying to take the splendor out of yours. It's easy to see everybody else's problems, isn't it? It's easy to see everybody else's mess-ups. For some reason, everybody else's issues just shine to us. I see them, I see them. But we keep ours hidden. Don't look. We need to have the heart of Phineas to take the spear, take the sword, and let it die. Let it die. What is keeping me from walking closer to the Lord? Let it die. Lord, kill it. Kill it, Lord. Is it fear? Kill it. Whatever it is, let it die. Is it hurts from the past? I know it's easy for me to stand up here and say, you need to get over it. Let God kill it. Let him heal. Because as he kills, he heals. (laughs) Remember Lazarus? He let Lazarus die so he could raise him from the dead. Life is what Jesus is about. Those hurts, those disappointments, those dreams that have not been fulfilled, whatever it might be, disappointment in your kids, disappointment in your parents, whatever it might be. Let God take the, take the word, take his spirit and just kill it. Let it die. Put it on the altar. Say, God, you take it. I don't want it anymore. You take it. You take it. You take it. 
and then let him resurrect something that will live, that will grow, that will be worth hanging on to. What is it in your life? Because your issue is not my issue. My issue is not your issue. I sat down yesterday, like I said. I was going to go over my message. I knew what it was. I knew where we were going to wind up. But I said, Lord, start it in me first. There's nothing worse than standing up here trying to tell you to do something if it's not alive in me. It's a lie. It's hypocritical. I can read a whole bunch of scripture to you and I could expound on it, but if it's not alive in me, And you know what? I went to the Lord and I began to talk to him. And just I was just praying. I just wanted to be in his presence. And it's amazing when you do that, how he just lovingly begins to expose things in your life. Some of it you know was there, but you weren't sure that he had noticed. <laughs> and some of it you're just going, oh, God. But the Lord showed me how just about a month ago, I allowed something to really pierce my heart. It hurt. Something happened that hurt. It hurt people that I love. It wasn't something that I did. So. But it hurt people that I love. And it caused, it caused issues. And the Lord had showed me how, how I had let that, that pierce me. And I was trying to figure it out and, and, and make it all work and, and do this and do this and do this. And what I had really done for the last month was take ministry. Now, there's times that, that as ministers we have to do ministry. But I was lifting the ministry up and, and going, God, we got to do this. we got to do this instead of going, God, you handle this. It's easy to do. It is easy to do. It's easy to get caught up in ministry and, for, and forget just because I happen to be a, a professional pastor and forget that the first ministry is between me and the Lord. And I'd let myself get, 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 get kind of dry. And the Lord said, just, just be in my presence. Just be in my presence. Just be in my presence. And I saw myself just taking that and just laying it on the altar. Jesus, I can't fix this anyway. I can't make this any better anyway. Only you can. But it's not worth me losing my time with you, my peace with you, my relationship with you. Just put it on the altar. And then stomp on it. Will you stand up? We all have things going on in our lives. We all do. We live in this world. There is going to be something going on in our life. We learn to handle it through the Lord in deeper ways the more that we allow him to minister to us so I want to just ask the Holy Spirit if you don't mind Holy Spirit I ask that you would just show us any place in our life that is not in line with you with your character with your word Lord show us any place in our life where we may be compromising to fit in or compromising hoping that we get the result that we want instead of bringing it to you and Lord whatever it is give us the, the passion and the heart to lay it on the altar
to let you take it. Lord, take our hurts, take our disappointments. Lord, take our rebellion, take our disobedience. Take everything that is not you, Lord, because this world needs to meet you and they're going to meet you through us. And it's not that we're trying to be perfect, Lord. We're just trying to be real. And Lord, I can be real with a real testimony when I've allowed you to operate in my life. I can speak of how God has overcome situations when I allow you to work in my life. Lord, that's what we want. That's what we want. We just want to give it to you. Give it to you. If the Lord has has put his finger on something in your life, just symbolically, just, just give it to him. Just hold it up and give it to him. Take it, Lord. Take it, Lord. Take it, Lord. For me, take ministry. Take ministry. It's not bigger than my relationship with you. I don't want it to be bigger than my relationship with you. Take it, Lord. Take it. Because it's only any good if it's being done through you anyway. I can't do it in my own strength. Lord, I can't love my wife in my own strength. I can't love my kids in my own strength. I can only do it through you. So take it, Lord. Take it. Take it. Resurrect it as you see fit. Use it as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I'm a little long. I'm sorry about that, but it's okay. I'm going to ask the prayer team to go ahead and come down. Santos, don't ever make me ask you again. (laughs) These people down here love the Lord. They love the Lord. You've got something going on in your life, no matter what it is, they can pray with you and for you. Don't walk out of here. If, If you're struggling with something, even if you're struggling with something that I said, let them help you're struggling in in life with some things, let them pray a prayer of agreement with you. Let them get involved in the battle with you, okay? Don't leave if you need prayer, and I mean that. This doesn't make me happy to see a bunch of people come down. It makes the Lord happy when we give it to him. All right? For everybody else, we love you. We love you. Have a blessed, blessed week. May all of your your goings be inspired by God. May he give you divine encounters with him and with others. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next time.